Hello there, Gav here. Welcome to Gas It Out. A quick warning before we get going with the podcast proper. Uh, Bradley's first words are bluer than a Rocco Sifredi film. And if you don't know who that is or what kind of films he makes, then it's probably best you don't listen too intently. Uh, I'm recording this intro a week on from actually speaking to Bradley with Neil. Apologies for the delay in getting this out there. Um, between preparing for the season, obviously, that's about to start, house renovations, my garden's upside down. We've had a digger in the garden, which was particularly exciting. Uh, it's been the girlfriend's birthday, yada, yada. Some bits of the podcast, maybe a touch out of date. We know now, for example, that Fabio Quartararo is one of those being hauled in front of the stewards for testing a bike a bit too similarly prepared to his M1. But the whole conversation about pre-season preparations and all that still stands. And of course, we are building up to the start of the MotoGP season where Bradley Smith in this reveals for the first time that I've heard that he is definitely going to be racing at Jerez. Uh, for the first two races, at the very least, maybe for the whole season, depending on what happens with Andre Iannone. And we talk about that a little bit in the podcast. Uh, his hearing, his appeal, and Wada's actually appealed to his, on his 18-month ban, um, still hasn't had a date set up for a hearing at uh, CAS. I've been and checked with the Court for Arbitration for Sport. Uh, so, uh, yeah, as things stand, he's still on an 18-month ban until next year. Uh, so Bradley could have the whole year. We're excited anyway that uh, he's going to be out and that most GPs going to get going because we will have every minute of it on BT Sport if you are in the UK. Uh, as per usual, just chuck that one in there. Uh, remember, you'll be able to watch this conversation with Bradley as a video pod. I believe they call it a vodcast on YouTube. I'm sure I'll make it onto Facebook too. Uh, we might set up a Gas It Out Facebook page too, where we can uh, chat directly with you lot. Would you like that? We could do that next, couldn't we? When I get a moment, uh, because I am very busy. We've got another couple of conversations already in the can with the ever-charming Sylvain Gintoli and MotoGP's favourite larrikin, Jack Miller. And they will be coming very soon. But for now, sorry for the long intro. Here's Bradley. Enjoy. Hello and uh, welcome to another Gas It Out. I'll look at the camera. That's how you're supposed to do these things. I can't even speak. Professional. Uh, Neil Hodgson joining me. Neil, you look like you just got out of bed. Ooh. I know, I know. Uh, I, actually, I, I are haven't, you paying I'm... attention as well? No, like, I'm were texting. you texting? I'm, I'm Morning, texting Bradley. We're trying to start a podcast. And, uh, no, I know, but I can see we are Neil. speaking to, yeah, we're speaking to Bradley and I'm just checking that. I'm saying, so you're good to join at one your time. For those Mate, of you who are you... just uh, listening to this, uh, I've got Neil uh, dictating that to Vic, who uh, is writing his text messages for him. Uh, hey, it's our anniversary today, Gav. Cup of tea. Oh, what a, what a lucky lady. How did you get to speak? Anniversary. Speaking, uh, Sem- seeing me and Bradley on, on your yeah. computer. Well, she, you know, Victoria loves you, and she's a massive Bradley Smith fan. Well, so, uh, yeah, it's just the highlight of her, it's her what day. What dreams are made of <laughs> yeah. to get this. Uh, well, she congratulations to you both. Uh, how long is that years. now? Three weeks? Oh, seven, 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 years. seven years. And she's managed to put up with me. I can't believe it. Blimey. Yeah. Guess what she got me? She bought me, I bought her our favorite uh, winery in South Africa. I got her favourite wine from there. I bought six bottles as, as a surprise, and she's bought me some of them ear pods. But I'm just I'm 
buds or whatever they call them. You know, there's ones where oh, you've yeah. not got a cable. Right, okay. I see that you've employed them straight away. No, well, I've plugged he it. I'm plugging it. He's got, he's got proper old school ones. Old school. So I'm charging them up. But yeah. it's got my name on. The oh. little case has got Neil on. Oh, is it got a uh, world champion 2003 on the uh, other one? <laughs> in gold. Without a doubt. Um, so uh, thanks everybody for, for joining us once more. Um, really uh, great to hear from a few of you. Good to uh, see that you've enjoyed us being back. A little bit of news um, while we uh, just look ahead to the MotoGP season. A couple of riders are going to be called up in front of the stewards for testing inappropriately. So maybe using machines too close to their own. I'm not sure. Maybe private testing when they're not supposed to be. We don't quite know the details of it. Uh, but obviously that's going to be quite a key thing, isn't it? Um, just thinking ahead of the season, who's been able to get in practice time, who hasn't, who's got that feeling back? Because you're going to have to hit the ground running, aren't you, as soon as you get to Jerez? Absolutely. I'm assuming it'll be more so two riders because they're the riders that can basically test bikes really close to what the race. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. If a Moto3 rider's been out on his Moto3 bike, he's in trouble, isn't he? You know what I mean? Yeah, but, I mean, um, but that, the, the likelihood of getting all that together and getting one out there um, is, is unlikely. Moto2, however, we've seen it before. Do you remember? Um, Tito Rabat pretty much had a spec bike down in Almeria, didn't he, back in the day, uh, before all this was brought in for Moto2 and Moto3. And I don't think they're actually supposed to be testing at all, aren't they? I think they're allowed to obviously go out and ride a bike, but in terms of they're not even allowed to do official tests or private tests or anything like that, I don't think. Well, they changed the rules for Tito Rabat, really, because what happened was he moved the goalposts. It was always a very fast rider coming up through the ranks. And then he basically went to live at a race circuit up in Almeria, in the middle of nowhere, really. The track's in the middle of nowhere. Parked his motorhome there and rode every day. I used to go to that track with Focus Events during track days, and Tito would ride every morning, every lunchtime, and in the evening. And it clearly gave him an advantage. So they, they Yeah, so that's what I was going to ask about this in terms of advantages. Advantages gained from this sort of thing. Uh, Valentino Rossi riding an R1M around. Um, we've also seen other riders out on you know different you know street bikes. Okay, I'm just, I can't think off the top of my head because I'm stupid like that. A lot of them do motocross, but we see people out on Mizano. We've seen them out on uh, circuits in Spain and what have you. So... In terms of advantages from doing that, I'd have said very negligible. But in Moto2, definite advantage to be gained. Yeah, especially like Tito did. He basically, at one point, he, he was riding his race bike. Then they stopped him from doing that. And then he was riding as close to the race bike as possible. And yeah, that was an advantage. But like you said, for MotoGP riders, what the one I, I'm really confused about, and I've not ridden one yet, is these the mini bikes that they ride? You know these like little Ovalis. Yeah. Obviously, Alex Lowe's has got one. Sam's got one. They all ride. Oh, them. I've seen them all out in Andorra. Joan Zarka was there in Andorra. A lot, yeah. They opened that track, didn't they, in Andorra? And a lot of those riders who were based up there, I've seen Jorge Martin going around the circuit, um, and a few others around there in Andorra. I think the Espargaro brothers were out. What, yeah. What, what I you don't think, know. You think that's very close to MotoGP level, isn't it? Those bikes. I mean, yeah. You know. Exactly. That's what I mean. What do you learn from it? I just. I, don't get me wrong, I understand young kids riding them, but like a MotoGP rider doing loads of laps on one of them, I'm just, I, well, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking the question. I'm not yeah, saying yeah. Well, I think maybe it's an absolute waste of time. Maybe I, Bradley will know. I, I don't I, get I it. I can't yeah. imagine him doing it. We could ask him. But I, I, 
I, I can imagine it'd be no, nice. I, I could, you see. Bit of fun. I, I could, because the way I see Bradley is the, is the ultimate professional. So if somebody said, they just might be a, um, something to gain from riding around on these, Bradley would do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's the way he's always been, hasn't he? You know, oh, he's, he's dedicated to the core uh, to this and hasn't given up. And I'm sure we'll get into the possibility. Am I the only one? He hasn't been announced yet as the Aprilia rider, has he? Officially, no one said it. But his rider's gone in Moto E, definitely. Jakob Kornfile is, is riding that bike. So that's definitely not happening Moto E. So clearly he's doing the Aprilia thing. But I haven't been told officially. Have you? Have you heard anything official? No, I haven't missed no, an email no, it's or a strange... message or anything. No, no, it's a strange one, isn't it? Obviously, the whole Aprilia thing strange with them waiting for Inoni and all, all you know, everything that's, that's gone on. That's why they can't. Say yeah. Anything. When's the? I don't even know when's the tribunal number three coming up. When's well, that one? It's going to when the court of arbitration for sport, and and so that's taking it to another level. Uh, Wada or the. Um, yeah, the other side are coming back and, and counterclaiming against the claim. So that's just going to rumble on. I, that's not going to happen before the start of the season. So, right. you know, I okay. mean, Bradley's probably going to have to dance around that one. Anyone waiting to hear a, a scoop or something like that, I can't see it happening if I'm uh, totally honest. So, Well, what we'll do, we'll see what he says. When he ends the conversation, we'll just, we'll, we'll fill in I'll the blanks. just keep recording. Yeah, something like that. yeah. Stitch yeah, him we'll up. Do that. You can do that, can't you? We would not yeah. do that, of course. Um, we would. Yeah, well, we would. Totally. So would. So would. Um, uh, the other thing. Um, Hang on, Gab. Just for the people, obviously well, at home that can't see. Sorry, the people that are listening to this, you won't be able to see this. Gab's got an Austin City wall. I can't Austin see. Austin City limits. Up. Yeah, Austin City limits. You get that from Austin, obviously. Yeah, yeah. From it's a, yeah. a famous uh, venue. Yeah. Um, did they not do it in your size? Why is it a bit big? It looks a, it looks a bit big. Well, I know you've lost weight. I've lost I've lost more than ten percent of my body weight. That's why. Yeah. Whoa! Yeah, here so he is. The big this, shot. This used to be tight. Anyway, yeah. it, looks, it, it looks baggy on you. It yeah. does. It looks baggy on you. Yeah, Get some new clothes. Well, you know, I'm blatantly going to put it all back on, aren't I? When I start traveling again, let's make no bones about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, I was going to ask about, um, in terms of fitness and that kind of thing, Dovi already no, back I'm in... I'm fit. The, um, oh, sorry, got uh, Dovi already back yeah. in the gym, we've seen. I had wow. a collarbone operation. They say he's going to be back at Jerez. What's your stance on riders doing motocross? Well, I've got massive mixed feelings because I, I, I understand both sides. Yeah. As a racer... It's amazing. It's the best thing you can do for fitness training, for reactions, fun. It is, it's the ultimate. It really is the ultimate. Obviously, the downsides are with motocross, it usually involves jumps. And if you get your timing wrong or if something happens, you go off to the takeoff and face up a jump and you get a weird kicker, all of a sudden you're over the bars and you're lying on the floor and you're in a mess. Now, if I was a team manager or a manufacturer, there is absolutely no way I would allow my riders to do any form of motocross. I wouldn't have them on motocross bikes. I'd have a, a complete ban, even though it's great for training, great for fitness and fun. Right. So I this, is, this is, and, and I can imagine riders going, well, they, they can't ban it. I'm not, I wouldn't sign for them. I'm not going to do it if they're going to do, you know, ban and that sort of thing. Fine. Right. But um, a footballer 
who's paid a lot of money, is not allowed to ride a motorbike. You know, things can't mm. go skiing, these kinds of things. Formula One uh, drivers are banned from doing certain things. You're being paid a lot of money to be in mm. perfect physical condition. Now, the argument will be, well, I can't be in perfect physical condition if I'm not riding a motocross bike, so on and so forth. Uh, I think you're right from a team's point of view. Why has no one done it then? Why has no one banned it? Well, in contracts, obviously I've seen a fair few contracts with Alex Laws and obviously when I race, yeah. it, it is worded that, for example, he can ride motocross bikes, but he's to ask permission. He can't go on a track with loads of jumps. So, but then the, the problem is that creates a grey area. Yeah, of course. So if, let's, for example, if Alex went out on a motocross bike and crashed over a jump, obviously he's not going to say, oh, hi guys, um, I broke <laughs> was... my leg. I did, yeah, came short on a double. Yeah. He's going to go, yeah, I was on a flat track bike and um, I've had a weird crash and I broke my leg. So, Yeah, I, I just find it such a, a strange one that, that you're talking professional sport and I completely get the argument. There are other riders who don't do motocross at all. We were talking before we uh, got on this uh, pod about Cal Crutchlow. There's someone who doesn't yeah. touch a motocross bike. How many times has Cal Crutchlow been injured from uh, riding his push bike? I know there have been people who have been injured riding their push bikes. Who was it who fell? Alec Albert Arenas, for example. But he hasn't yeah. missed a race yeah. because of that, as, yeah, but, it, as in Cal yeah, Crutchlow. But, Gav, how many times are we in the paddock and you'll go, have you heard um, whoever's not riding this weekend? He broke his wrist on his mountain bike, and I always go mountain bike. Like so, but surely you've got a responsibility to your employer to keep yourself fit and, and yeah, work out what, fitness what in another way. But abs ab I'm being devil's that. advocate here because I've no, spoken, I know you are. I know I've spoken you are. to riders who say no. I, um, well, I'd say no. I'd, I've got to do it. But then, if you're a team, yeah. you, you are in the box seat here. You, you're the one. You're the employer, aren't you? What you've got to understand, a motorcycle racer doesn't think he's going to fall off and hurt himself. It's this weird, because if you did, you wouldn't do it and go fast. Mm. You know, you wouldn't race bikes if you thought you were going to fall off. You've, you've got this weird thing where it always happens to somebody else. It's like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. Yeah. I'm good. I know what I'm doing. I'm in, I'm in control. I won't be an idiot. I won't do anything stupid. But what happens if you do it a lot? And that's what happened with me. You go faster, faster, faster. Things get bigger. You start doing that double, then it turns into actually, I'm really confident I can do it into a, I can do a triple. And before you know it, you're, you're at your limit. Something goes wrong and you're in the hospital. And we are talking about a rider in Dovey that many people say, not world championship level motocrosser, but very decent national level, you know, able yeah, to even push to do that sort of thing. Very good motocrosser. So there's no doubts about his ability on the bike. And, yeah. yet, and yet it could be, the whole of the catty season decided if he's unfit for the first two, who knows? He's not quite right. That could be it. Last year, yeah. after a couple of races where he was taken out or these things happened, he was taken out in Barcelona, that was the championship gone. We've got a shorter yeah. season. 25 points gone would be the end. It's uh, it's it's a one that it's a, it's a tough one, but I suppose a team manager would be the, the best person to get the answer on, wouldn't it? On those. Yeah, but what a team manager will say will be what I'm, what I'm saying. They'll say, yeah, we don't really, you know, they've got to ask for our permission. The weird thing is Ducati had allowed Dovey to do the motocross race because Dovey convinced Ducati that 
for but him, it's, it's the right thing. It's really important just to get him like yeah. really shot for the start of the season. I'm going to stop you because Bradley Smith is here, and I reckon that we can uh, we can ask him. Yeah, we'll get more sense out of him. Oh, Bradley's connecting. Let's, I need to see what I need to see what he's looking like because you know I want to make sure that he's looking nice and slim. He's, he's just about to join. Yeah, because last night when I, I I Googled him, I found a picture of him where his face looks really round, so I sent it to him, and he, he, he was laughing, going, oh, thanks, Neil, just what do you need? You know, send me that for a man who's got an eating disorder. Because I was basically going, oh, you look really fat in this picture. Oh, that's good of you. Is he there, Bradley? Yeah. Are you there? I can't I'm see just, him. I'm just listening to this fucking tosser try and get himself <laughs> out. <Hey! laughs> there he is. <laughs> what I'm going to do I'm going to show the picture for the people at home the picture I sent Bradley I'm going hey Bradley look at you in this, look at this picture sorry for the yeah, people that are listening yeah. to this but like Bradley who's probably got about well single figures body fat got this really round face in this picture there he is I'm, I'm here I'm and here. we know he oh, is the least he is this you know the least chubby person <laughs> That you have ever met in your life is uh, is Bradley. So uh, anyway, oh there he is. Oh, I can see Bradley now. He's uh, popped up what? on our screens. Good morning, Brad. Or oh, afternoon, I suppose it is, over there in. Uh... Are you in the south of France? I am, but it's afternoon for you now as well, so you can't say good morning oh, yeah. either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just tripped <laughs> over. You're right. You're right. As always, Bradley is right. Um, hey, we were we were having an argument here. Well, not an argument actually. It was a cultured discussion, but about. Uh, we were just talking about Dovi uh, breaking collarbone and we were talking about people getting injured while motocrossing, missing races or coming back unfit. Am I right in thinking, have you been in that situation once? Have you been injured motocrossing? Has that ever happened to you? Yes. So start of 2015. So basically, I think it was like a week before I turned up in Sepang. Um, yeah, I was riding... End up crashing, um, did all the ligaments and everything in my ankle, basically couldn't walk and turned up to the first test on uh, on crutches. So uh, luckily it was my, now let me think, it was my right um, ankle. So basically I only had to use the rear brake. So it wasn't as bad, but uh, yeah, certainly I wasn't in the in the good books. So um, yeah, but Hervé was delighted and I've actually spoken to Hervé before and uh, I remember him saying how... Um, yeah, he wasn't a fan of, of riders, motocrossing, that sort of thing. Right, so we we try to put both sides of it because we understand why you guys want to do it. You want that sharpness, you want the reaction time, these kinds of things. But the other side is you're uh, a sportsman being paid to obviously race and if it's preventing you from doing a race in, in some kind of way. So from a from a rider's point of view, what's your take on, on the idea of, of uh, doing... Dangerous sports. I know. I know that's your your career anyway. But doing dangerous sports as training. I'm just gonna go at it not from a personal point of view, but more from like a, a holistic point of view. So, at the end of the day, pro athletes need to like need a bigger stimulus to improve. So Joe Bloggs turns up and uh, starts riding a motorcycle or starts playing tennis. Um, anything that they do with that tennis ball is going to make them better. So even just um, playing 
playing against the war, you know, um, you know, or footballers playing Kirby or something like that. Anything is going to make them better. Um, but as you get higher and higher up the yeah, professional ladder, it gets harder and harder to improve. And then that means that the only way to improve is to perform at 99% of um, what you're capable of doing. And everybody knows when you start increasing those type of intensities, um, even dangerous sport or not, risk factor goes up like tenfold. It's crazy if you have a look um, from athletic performance in terms of as soon as you start getting around that 95 to 105% of your 40 minute, you know, maximum tolerance, um, you know, the, the risk of injury goes up massively. That's why we see people getting injured before Olympics, um, you know, having to pull out of this event and that event just because to try and get that final little bit takes so much uh, time and effort. The season's only 13 races. If you can start with a bit of a bang, um, if you can catch people on the back foot, um, it's the time to, to take full advantage. I think that Dovi's mistake was uh, making it so public because uh, I think that he, he told everybody that he was doing it. So everyone had an opinion even prior to the accident. Mm. So when they did see the news, it was like, oh, told you so. Um, I, I do get it. Um, maybe racing uh, isn't one of the, the smartest decisions, but certainly riding motocross, riding dirt track, um, you know, risk comes with anything. And at the end of the day, we haven't touched or they won't touch a bike um, since Qatar. I've only already had four and a half days. Um, uh, I don't know. If you turned up at a track day and something happened there, would people say that that was silly as well? I, I don't know. Um, yeah, which it does, it, as we know. It, yeah. that, that sort of thing does happen mm -hmm. uh, as well. And, uh, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I wonder, as we were saying, if, if, if you were signing for a team, Bradley, and the team manager, say, say for example, you were signing for uh, Aprilia and Romano Obeziano or you know, Rivola come to you and say, right, part of your contract is... You're not allowed to ride motocross. What? How would that? Uh, how, you know, how would that affect your signature, or how would that affect you wanting to be part of that team? I always have it removed. So that's like, it. It's just a, just yeah, yeah. It's just that that's not going to work for me. Right. Um, now we can come to an agreement that, um, for example, we use uh, common sense, or there's no. Um, competition um i i don't go and start hitting freestyle jumps you know or <laughs> trying to do backflips into foam pits because i've seen uh you know riders doing that um so there's there's a, a like a gentleman's agreement that uh, they kind of sign off in terms of i will always go not on weekends um you know i try and go during the week when it's uh, less busy i always go to tracks that are well prepared and have good medical facilities um uh, I'll always take a mechanic with me with a prepared bike, you know, so I, I, I lay it out in terms of I will try to be as professional as possible um, using my uh, best, you know, looking after my best interests. And you have to trust me on this one that I use it for benefit rather than um, going that that extra extra step. But, you know, life's life's dangerous as it is. You know, if you start looking at um, the flights that we take, uh, every year, the amount of times that we're driving on the road. Um, you know, I'm sure the statistics are, are higher doing some normal everyday things that we do 
um, in terms of getting injured rather than just, uh, you know, just riding motorbikes. Listen, uh, I think it was Cal with his thumb with the, the knife and cheese. Yeah. Um, Chris Fruit yeah. did the same thing, you know, cutting something inside the kitchen. What are we supposed to do? Wrap ourselves in bubble wrap and only be allowed out to ride bikes? Uh, you know, it, life, life happens and um, risks are part of the game. We've got to mitigate like, it as much fair. as possible, isn't it, Neil? Yeah, it's a fair, fair point, that. One question we were talking before you came on. What about the, the mini bikes, these Ovalis and stuff? Because I've never ridden one. And I'm, I'm, when I look at it, I look at it and I see a MotoGP rider riding around on one of them. One of them and I think, surely that's not going to help you. Have you ridden them and, and, and what's it like? Do you think there's any benefit from riding the, the, the mini bikes? Yeah, I don't really understand it, to be honest, because you're riding something that's... First of all, they're normally two strokes. Um, second of all, they're they're not they're just not the right size. You know, you, you don't ride them in the right way. They got no suspension. You're riding on little tracks. Like I don't really see the the massive benefit to it. Mm. Um, now I've seen a couple like Jake Dixon. I think he's got the one fifty four stroke mm. um, supermoto and. That's a little bit better. It looks a little bit more of a, a more reasonable size. Um, certainly safer in terms of if you're going to cart tracks with wars close by, or at least you're reducing speed. Because let's be honest, riding these 450s nowadays, um, you know, you're up over 80, 90 kilometers an hour with absolutely no problem at all. Um, and, you know, wars are pretty close. So at least that keeps the speed down. But the, the mini bikes, I don't really understand the, the whole theory behind that. Um, I'd much rather see someone out on a on a supermoto or out on an R1. You know, one thing that mm. I've seen, I saw uh, Sam Lowe's out with us mm. in Zano last week, you know, riding the, I think he's got an R1 there. Um, Johan Zarco joined us on the last date. Those type of things, um, that seems like there's a crossover. The other stuff, I do have a question to mark up. Mm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's a, he's a strange. Scott Redding, almost you know, broke his leg, didn't he? He almost ruined his BSB chances last year with a mini He did break crash. his leg. Yeah, he broke it, didn't he? He did break his leg, didn't he? He broke his practice femur, didn't he? Just because you remember, say, Bradley, because yeah. the walls are so close, it, it's still it's still got that element of risk and what you're gaining out of it. It's finding that balance, isn't it? That Mitigating the risk as much as possible. Um, we've got to talk to you, Bradley, about what's been going on with you because, as you said, you've been out testing at Mizano. Now, um, and you've... Well, your Moto E ride's been relinquished... Uh, Jakob Kornfall's taken out. Now, what are you allowed to tell us? Where will you be racing? Can you tell us officially? Because I don't know if I've missed it if we've been told that you're going to be officially starting the season in Jerez. I know you've been out testing and that, but but what, what can you tell us? Yeah, um, I don't know. It's, it's very, very strange in terms of how it's all handled. But uh, I, I think that Speed Week knew before me that I was going to do the opening two races. So that's... <laughs> how it's how it's gone down uh I, I don't know how Gunter got that information before i did or something didn't filter down to me so um anyway it, i'm a test rider for for a pretty so uh, at any point i can be called in as a replacement so there doesn't really need to be any official press release because i'm just replacing um someone that's unable to, to race at the moment so basically i'm in for the first two races officially and 
then it's a kind of wait and see situation from from then on onwards until Andrea gets a chance to to have his um, his court appeal and get a verdict from that. Then I'll be the the replacement from there. But um, yeah, at the moment I'll be at Haref the first two races, which is exciting, and then uh, yeah. We'll see how many races you'll see me at from from then on onwards. Well, with that, with that though, I don't know, Gav. Might you might know when when is Andrea supposed to be back then? Well, it's it, it's until the Court of Arbitration for Sport hear his hearing, and there's also been a counter hearing on the other side, and and I'm signed up to their press releases. I've not had any information of when that's all going right. to to be heard, and so it's just. But he's supposed to two. ride this year, is that right? Well, I mean. No. No. Oh, he's, he's okay, so he's supposed to miss the as whole things, of his... As things miss... stand, his, his ban would go to uh, tw- middle of 2021, oh, yes. June 2021. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I'm getting there. confused. Yeah, I'm a year out. Exactly. Sorry, I was thinking, yeah, that it, it was due to be able to ride any time yeah. now. But so if no, the you're season right. got cancelled, it was a bit like, oh, actually, you know, it was one of those strange situations. So, I, I, but I know you, Bradley, and I know I, I can say to you... Uh, Oh well, you must be preparing differently, but you're always ready. You're always fully fit. You're always race to ready to race. However, uh, there is a possibility, as Neil said, of the ban extending for Andrea. And I don't. We know we can't ask you about that and your opinions on it. But is there a chip inside your head that changes the mindset a little bit of how you might approach things going into a first race, considering how well the tests apparently appear to have gone? Yes, yeah, certainly. And at the end of the day. From the moment that I heard it in December, I just decided, right, I, I need to prepare like I'm I'm going into a full season. Um, I, I obviously wasn't sure uh, a sample would come in positive, um, but really you don't have, oh, there's no time to wait for, for a B sample and then a court hearing and so on and so forth. So basically, I think it was second week of December or just before just before Christmas, I think maybe 17th or something. And I, and unfortunately, we were at the Aprilia factory when the news came out. Um, so that made for an awkward day, of course. Um, but basically, I just decided from that moment is normally if I was preparing for a season, I would have started training by then anyway and going full out for the year. Um, to be ready for April was not going to be a negative for me because I either was going to be ready to jump in in a GP, I was going to be ready for my wild cards whenever they were going to happen, or I was going to be ready for Motor E. There's no such thing as being too ready, if that makes sense. Um, and I was going to be more disappointed with myself if I wasn't ready to take the opportunity than if the opportunity didn't arise. So because now physically, Mother GP is extremely demanding. The fact that I only raced four races last season that kind of normal race um fitness you know slowly starts to to disappear i'm i'm certainly not getting any younger um so yeah basically decided to take those like three four months and and get back to the level that i was at when i was racing full-time in gp i knew my numbers and i knew what i kind of had to work towards and yeah uh, that was that was kind of it just prepare be ready and uh yeah, see if the the phone calls. But you're you're only twenty nine years old still. I mean, when I look at motorcycle racers' careers, certainly British riders over the years, it's almost between twenty six, twenty seven to thirty two seems like the golden years of most riders' career. 
obviously everything happened really early for you. You got some great opportunities. You certainly made the most of them. Do you feel now as Bradley Smith, 29 years old, right, now I'm going to show everybody because sort of been written off a little bit, working my way down, having had, you know, great opportunities and it's the way MotoGP works. Do you think last chance, nothing, because you have nothing to lose. I'm going to, I am going to, you know, surprise some people. I'm going to, I'm going to shake things up. Is, is that your sort of mindset? Yeah, I think so. And I got, I honestly got kicked out of MotoGP when I was riding at my best. Um, hmm. uh, the fact that my teammate uh, at the time, Paul Spagro, has now been considered, let's say, um, <laughs> for like factory HRC contract and a factory Ducati contract. That he didn't suddenly improve in the last, um, you know, 12 months that much between me and him that it was like, oh yeah, Brad's at home and he's in factory HRC, you know, mm. that, that just didn't happen. And when I, when I bowed out of KTM at that time, okay, Paul did have some injuries, um, you know, from Bruno onwards, but even prior to that, I was on his case, like every weekend, mm. just knocking on the door and giving him a real hard time. So I, I bowed out there riding for me some of the best that I've ever ridden. And the thing is, people will never see or realize that because it's like, well, when you're at Yamaha, you were finishing fifth or sixth and you got sixth in the world. Yeah, but there's stuff that you have to ride around. There's stuff that you learn. Um, there's, there's, yeah, the, the bike's not on the same. So there's, there's uh, talents that came out during those two years on the orange bike that, um, you know, I kept on learning and they kept on evolving. So I, I rolled out the best that I've ever ridden and then I was at home. So um, I kind of had to sit and wait last year and I didn't know whether it was ever going to come again. But certainly when I see this one coming um, and yeah, this opportunity is a massive one for me. I, I don't feel old. Like you said, I am only 29. Um, I don't feel old. And this new bike and this new project from Aprilia seems to to give me the opportunity to to have a good crack at this. So um, I'll be I'll be ready and uh, yeah, hopefully the bike is too. As it made a, as it made a step that what we're hearing from the test, the the problem is, and I don't this might sound negative. I really like Alesh and I'm a fan. Good guy, I respect him, but he's almost too passionate. He's almost all. He's all or nothing. He's, he's up all and down, fire, up and down. isn't he? He is fire. Yeah, he's fiery. So he has, a, he has a good test and everything about the bike's amazing. This is what I read when we've interviewed him. Then he has a bad test or a bad race and it's a disaster. We've gone in the wrong direction. So I've lost a bit of faith in what he says. You know, I don't sit there and think, okay, I'm confident now that Aprilia has, has made a huge step. So what's the truth? Because obviously I trust what you, you're going to say. There's a lot of competitive bikes out there and we have to have a look in terms of um there's uh, let's say three factory hondas um three factory ducatis four factory ktms um three and a half factory uh, yamahas so where do you want to sit in you know firstly where do you want to sit in on on any of that um and then two suzukis as well so to finish inside the top 10 right now is it's almost unrealistic to sit here and go, oh yeah, we're going to be able to do that because of mm. where we've been. 
Um, now, we've made a step forward and, and we're certainly making uh, pro progress. Um, the guys have made progress on, on all sides um, of, of the chassis and, you know, aerodynamics and weight and engine and, and, and everything. But we really don't know. And doing one lap in or doing one lap, um, you know, in testing when it's cold in the morning, um, you know, everything's a little bit fresher, a little bit easier. You, you know, you're fully motivated. You've got the grip to kind of overcome uh, maybe the, the weaknesses of the bike. That's kind of what everyone sees on the results. But until we turn up in RF and start riding in like 50, 55 degree track temperatures um, mm. and really seeing how our bike performs under a race situation, because you know better than anyone, you can sit behind someone, maybe you're 0.3, 0.4 quicker. But you can't pass them because every time mm. you come off the corner, they have 300 horsepower and they power down the straight, they break deep, they stop, and then you can't overtake them. Yeah. You know, so that race dynamic is still a massive part of MotoGP, and that's still something that we don't know with the RS2020. Mm. It is better than last year. It is feeling better, working better. Um, but until we get it in a race scenario, it would be silly for me to go, oh, yeah, you know, uh, it's going to be top 10 every time. Yeah. Points is, is points is the aim from round one. So um, you know, if we can walk away with there with one or two points, winner, and then build from there. But I, I know, I know, I agree with all you, what you're saying. You know, you sat there. But there was, I remember looking at um, a run that that Alesh had done, and I, I'm like Neil. You see these one laps, and we know we all, and no one reads too much in testing. But there seemed to be a decent run, couple of decent runs put together as if. Well, that's, you know, it might have been able to do your one lap here and there, but was it able to maintain it during the race? We saw it a couple of times last year where that was possible, where both he and Andrea actually were able to maintain something throughout throughout the race. And it looked like that consistency was there. In terms of the package as a whole, in terms of percentage improvements, where what do you see? You know, in terms of, you know, are we now, oh, this is twice as good as the last bike. Does that make sense? Or is it just... Yeah, because it was a big, it's a big guys, changes gone on, haven't they? Big changes have gone on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think on the one lap pace, maybe we've managed to to pull out, um, you know, point two, point three. But the biggest thing, and this was one of my main targets as a test rider, was managing to make the bike able to do that for for the full race distance. And that's where I think that we've gained like the half second to point six. Not on every circuit, because sometimes there's not that massive drop. But certainly on difficult circuits for us from, from last season, um, as soon as the tyre dropped, it would get very, very tricky. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that we've, we've improved that. Um, so that means basically we've, I would say that we've cancelled out the, the improvement on the new tyre. So we've gone with all the other factories and then maybe we've got 0.3 a lap quicker over race distance compared to the other factories. Because I think everyone improves 0.2 to 0.3 year by year. So um point three is still still enough it's still you know let's say seven to to nine seconds um uh over a race distance which now in motor gp that's massive so um if we've done that then that was you know in the right direction and that's at the moment on base level and then if we can improve from that you know winner what's interesting with that is what you said earlier though also is how does that relate in the race scenario when you're behind a ducati for example you know what I mean? That pulls three bike lengths on acceleration, 
and they can they've got good braking stability. So this obviously it's a fast bike and they can get the thing stopped. And you're like, my God, I'm faster than this guy. Just go wide, move out the way. Which is something obviously actually Suzuki had that kind of issues, didn't they? A couple of times mm. where you'd actually think, oh, that bike's really working well, but I can't get past anything. So it's all very yeah. well. And I think Yamaha struggled with, a little bit with it. I think that's a good point too. Um, and and it's, you're not going to find that, are you, until uh, lap 20 in her F or whatever it is. No. Yeah, when the, when the track temperatures are yeah. 55, 60 degrees at a track which gets greasy at 40. <laughs> It's, it's going to be those ones that time will tell um, and we have to wait at this point. It feels good. Everyone's happy. Everyone's patting each other on the back for the work. But until we get it in a race scenario and then sit down in the first debrief, then we, we don't know. What I'm excited about this year, though, is the whole back-to-back -back idea because I'm really interested to see which factories and which riders are able to up their game from one weekend to the next, you know, and crunch all those numbers from the first weekend and then roll out the second weekend and see how much that they can actually take that further forward. Um, I'm, you know, I'm interested to, to see how that works out. Yeah, lead times, isn't it? That, that sometimes, I know Ducati struggle with the lead times. I don't know what the case is necessarily with Aprilia. KTM often, you'll have seen, are producing lots of things, sometimes too many things that they're throwing left, right and centre uh, at you. Um, that, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, isn't it, to see how how that does affect things. I just wanted to ask on that in terms of the fact that the engine allocation hadn't been set for Aprilian for KTM, for example. Is that something you see was important that, you know, you, you guys didn't have to set what you were going to be bringing to the original Qatar? Has that allowed a little bit of leeway with things being frozen or, or nothing because it's, you know, have they been able to work at all? Yeah, well, I think Aprilia was honest and said that we had two guys basically stripping and rebuilding engines in one of the office spaces in uh, in Sepang and in Qatar. So we were certainly um, trying to catch hot, hot, hot potatoes in uh, in those two ones, you know, in terms of with the engine. Um, so, yeah, the fact that they've had a little bit more time to iron out some of the issues Unfortunately, no time to make anything or produce anything because everything got locked down in Italy. They didn't actually, I thought that we could get ahead of the eight ball, but you know, the, the factories were all closed. So any outsourcing that we were doing or anything that we could even make internally just didn't get done. A pretty, it was just closed doors, shut us down. So, um, but at least what we're homologating now, we know, um, and it's reliable enough to, to start the season with and we just got a build from there. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. How do you feel looking back at your career? And I'm not saying like you'd talk to somebody like uh, as if they'd retired. Let's hope the best is yet to come. And we know you're a long way off retiring. When you look back at your career, does it frustrate you that you've probably not got the credit you deserve? You know, we look back over the last 20 years British riders coming into Grand Prix racing and not doing too well I mean if you look at I guess Cal Crutchlow you could argue has done better than you in in MotoGP but you've had success in Moto well in one two fives obviously Moto2 winning Grand Prix races you've had lots you know lots of podiums throughout your career podiums in MotoGP you've you've beat Valentino Rossi in races you know you've you've had an incredible career and I feel quite strongly about this. I never feel like you've had the credit you deserve. And what, what's your take on that? Is it something that you, you, you ever think about? Or do you think, ah, oh, it's almost because, not to answer this for you, but 
because you didn't do BSB. You weren't a super bike guy. You know, do you know what I mean? It's like you've not, I just feel like you don't get the credit you deserve. Um, everyone's going to have their opinion and, you know, I'm certainly not going to be able to, to sway that. I think that in the world nowadays, expectation levels are, are always, they're, they're, I'd like to think though, Neil, that I was the person that changed people's perception and lifted people's perception of what British riders could do. So um jt a little bit when obviously he was there so i can't take too much credit from from that but um basically when i walked into grand prix no one had been on a podium no one was uh, you know scoring points Chaz was there Chaz was knocking on the door and i think that Chaz could have been definitely that person but it'd been so long since we'd seen anyone like that so rocking up into to one two fives and and you know winning gps there and fighting for world championships there um Moto, Moto2 um, probably didn't go quite as as good. But, you know, Scott then kept kind of the expectations high because he was being on the podiums. And then obviously turning up inside of MotoGP. I just turned up at a time where JT had kind of been there for a couple of years, been on the podium and been in the top six. Coward also turned up um, and had a fantastic year. I think it was um, 2013, I think. Uh, no, 2012, um, where him and Davizioso were kind of, um, fighting for podiums every weekend so when you turned up it was like okay the expectation now is to be there so I was only doing what people expected um, so it just became the new norm um, but yeah it's but like you finished 10th in your first MotoGP season in the championship yeah you, you know yeah, what I mean I, like, I mean we're yeah. talking now on, on, on the satellite Yamaha 10th last year was Frankie Morbidelli so Frankie yeah, Morbidelli, yeah. who's obviously being talked about as you know, as a people, hero, as, yeah, someone going through uh, and, and doing all and those things. And me and Gavin in the pub, and somebody will go, "Don't rate Bradley Smith," and I'm like, "You what? Yeah, just I don't know. I just I just, I just don't think he's got it." You're like, yeah, "Mate, but, have you got any yeah. idea I mean, how hard it is?" Yeah, but you've got to remember, I came in the same year as Mark Marquez, and you know, yeah, but he's that probably, yeah, but that destroyed <laughs> everything. You know, I know, I know, so, I know. So, like, like I said, you've got to have a look. JT was there before and, you know, top six guy. So he was kind of the eye-opener to everybody in terms of, like, okay, uh, British riders can do it. And even World Superbike riders can do it. Then Cal made the j jump across, bit of a struggle the first year. But then he, he, he turned the switch and he was able to do it. Then you turned up with Mark Marquez and Mark Marquez just blew everything out of the water. And, you know, okay, he was on a factory Honda and this, that, and the other. But the two just turned up and kicked ass so me as a rookie it was like oh okay brad's a rookie but you know look what Mark marquez is doing and look what cow's done on that bike and you know there's just so many things that kind of doled it down now yeah um but that's fine because also my expectation wasn't to just do what uh you know toesland had done or crutchlow had done my my aspirations was get in here, figure it out, and, and kind of follow Mark, if that makes sense. Because the guy was always that one step better in 125s and in, in Mudder 2. Totally agree with that. But one step is from a guy that demolished everyone last season in the World Championship. One step back from that has to be that top six podium, mm. you know, sometimes person. And I think I was on the right trail for it, honestly. Uh, 2015, you know, the, the season that I had, the points that I scored that year. 
Um, but I just didn't get a factory contract. There was no factory contracts available to me. Um, the support from Yamaha at that time um, isn't what it is now with Petronas, you know, the fact that they can just buy themselves the factory bikes. Um, so I just did the best that I could and KTM was then the next option and I believed in that project. I really thought that uh, I was 26 at the time, you know, I'll be here for four years and in four years we'll be able to figure it out. And I think we'll see that, you know, if they would have stuck, um, you know, by me for those four years, that bike that they've produced this season is something extremely special. So we probably would have seen uh, the best of Bradley Smith mm. at 29 years old, but stories aren't written like fairy tales. And sometimes, no. you know, we have to jump around the place to, to try and prove that. But um, yeah, it, it, people have their opinions. It's down to me to kind of, I don't know, put something out there that, that changes that. Um, and yes, us speaking on the podcast and probably at the pub, although I'm grateful for you doing it, um, you know, you can say what you want, but actions speak louder. So it's in my hands now. Do, do you... I love it in the pub though. I don't know, Gav, when I've had a beer. I mean, I, 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 the, the, your visits to the pub are fleeting. It lasts about 15 minutes. Then it's like, it's bedtime now, isn't it? That's what usually happens. <laughs> One shandy. No, but if, I, <laughs> but if I get somebody that comes up saying that, I'm like, okay, yeah, no problem. Well, right, you do, better, well, you do get strides. a little bit mouthy when you've had one too many top decks. Those. I love it. I love it. <laughs> but can I just give you, just to back up what I'm saying, I want to give you an example of what I, what, I've, what, what, how I see it, right? So you've got, let's use, we've got the perfect example here, Scott Redding. So Scott Redding had five years in MotoGP and did a, not a bad job. It's difficult. He are on the wrong bikes at the wrong time and it didn't quite work out for him, right? So... You, your average British fan, right, was saying, get ready, I'm going to be honest, Scott Redding shit. Yeah. That's, the, that's the pub conversation. I'm in the pub. I heard Scott, Redding, yeah. Scott, Scott Redding shit. And I'm going, whoa, no. No, no, no. He's not shit. He's 1.3 off Mark Marquez. Mark Marquez on a factory Honda and the, probably the best motorcycle race I've ever seen. He's not shit. So, so Scott Redding goes to BSB and destroys everybody. And everybody's going, oh, Scott Redding's learned how to ride a bike. Scott Redding's, I tell you what, Scott Redding's great. I'm a massive Scott Redding fan now. And it's like, it's the same Scott Redding. It was riding just as fast last year in MotoGP. But that's the reality. You know, I know I'm going off on one, but it, it, I just want people to understand how hard it is for British riders in MotoGP, British riders in the Grand Prix paddock in general, it's hard. It's competitive. There are no slow riders. You, you don't take your, you don't take a sponsor with you. You don't get Repsol coming and saying we'd like another Spaniard in our factory Honda team. You don't. That no. just does not happen in the same no, kind of way, does it? Exactly. So you're, you're up against it on another level. Exactly. And just as an example, if Bradley, if you didn't want to be a, the uh, Aprilia test rider, obviously it looks like you're going to race, and you. Did BS? You decided? Do you know what? I'll do BSB. Well, I'm putting money. You'd win the championship in the in the first year, because you would, because your actual skill levels higher. It's you know, it's incredible because you've been a Grand Prix rider all your life. You know, that's how I see it. So there. Yeah, I suppose. I suppose yeah, <laughs> that's, thanks, that's thanks, saved Dave. down the pub toll, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's, bloody Dave. Oh, Archie's no, no. going on again. But that's no different than, for example, if you had a look at tennis, you know, back, um, I remember watching Wimbledon when I was younger and you'd watch um, Tim Hedman and Greg Rosetsky and you'd just be like, oh, like, you know, why can't they make the final? And it's just a plain and simple is they are phenomenal at what they did. You took yeah. them to 
you know, you took them to any kind of non-pro tour tournament, they would absolutely destroy everybody in three sets every single game and just walk away with no problem at all. But because they were put up against, uh, you know, what, uh, what we're talking, um, you know, Federer still at that point, but I think even Sampras and those guys, Agassi, um, the fact that you put them up against those guys, it didn't mean that they were shit. It just meant that they were a tiny little bit off and yeah. they were ranked eighth and twelfth in the world, you know. Yeah. But oh no, they can't play. They, you know, they'll they'll never make it. They can't play. They'll oh, okay, all right, you know. And, but I've done the same watching uh, the sports. So um yeah, yeah it's, it's a British it's way hard. though, isn't it? It's that it's that British way, that almost a little bit of pub mentality. Sat there going. Bag of shit, then. Rubbish. I'll never make anything of himself. And it's like, mate, come on. You need no. to go to more pubs with music in and things like that, Neil, or beer gardens. <laughs> much, well, happier, much happier places. <laughs> Gav, I would, I would happily go to the pub with you if you'd invite me from time to time. Well, there's a don't. reason why, because you get into arguments like this. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I don't want to get involved in any of this sort I'll, of I, stuff. I love an argument. Oh. I do. Oh, he just like that. <laughs> oh. with, hey, with my extra small t-shirt on. With his beer Never on. Fails. <laughs> Never fails. Uh, Bradley, do you en- are you enjoying riding still? Or I was gonna say, or is it a struggle? Or do you enjoy the struggle? Does that does that make sense? Uh, you enjoyed the last few years where things might not have been as easy. Uh, oh, I mean, like there's, there's ups and downs, right? So there's definitely days where I'm like, yeah, sack this off. But, uh, you know, more times than not, it's just been good. I've, I've enjoyed trying to figure it out. And that resonated me. I think it was um, when Valentino said it. And, you know, it, it's the enjoyment of trying to figure out with your group of guys how to make that motorcycle go as fast as possible better than everybody else over the 25 laps of a race. You know, there's something that that's what makes it tick. And as hard as it was in KTM um, and as hard as it was inside of a prettier, you know, being the test rider and stuff, everybody inside those projects are passionate. Everyone is trying their absolute hardest and everyone has the goal to get it better than it is. No one sat there going, oh, we're chuffed to bits being the last manufacturer or we're chuffed to bits being 40 seconds behind the leader at the end of the race. Um, So it doesn't matter. And it's it's probably even harder because in somewhere like Repsol Honda, they're still trying as hard as everybody else, but at least they get the satisfaction of winning or being on the podium or they get the a bit of champagne sprayed on their clothes. You know, we're the ones that have to sit inside the garage with moping faces, you know, looking inside of the data while the national anthems are being played. So, mm. um, but the that's hard as well. And it, and it yeah. that's hard. Wow. Oof, you know, it's, it's not easy. And, You've got to do that time and time again, day in, day, uh, day, in, day out. Um, you know, we'd finish GPs, for example, on Sunday. The guys would pack everything. Then the, the truckies would then drive like Monday, uh, over like Monday, get there Tuesday early in the morning. The boys would then fly, set up the garage on Tuesday, and then we'll have three days on track. All by ourselves in 50 degrees, uh, you know, uh, down in Aragon. And we'd be there for three days. We wouldn't really have found anything that special, pack up everything and then move on to the next race. And that constant slog was, was difficult. But 
there is something enjoyable about it. There is something that um, the team makes it what it what it is. And because you put in that much more effort or because it hurts that much more on the hard times, it makes the good times a, a little bit better. So um, same thing, rolling out, you know, last, last season, uh, many times at the wild cards, you know, doing all the testing that I was doing, it was humiliating, honestly, riding around and everyone going, well, what's Brad doing? And I was just being a test donkey, you know, even at the, the Grand Prix, I just had to um, try this tire, try that tire, running um, these clutch plates for the riders, um, make sure that, you know, this um, front brake system's working because we had some air in it the day before. So just make sure that it's okay. So Andrea has it as a backup, you know, ready for, for qualifying or something like that. And it's just stuff that, it was just hard to do, but when the bike actually rolled out this season and, you know, um, made such a jump forward, you get all of that back and double. It's kind of like, okay, all of that, all of that shit's forgotten, um, you know, and, and you go forward. So yeah, to answer that question, I, I still love it. Still absolutely adore what I'm doing. The results wise would be nice. The easy thing to say is Moto E was nice. I was on the podium, but it didn't give me half the satisfaction mm. of gutsing a top 10 or a top 12 across the line with, with, uh, with a difficult bike. Um, you know, there is something about that struggle and putting yourselves up against the best people in the world. There's, there's a lot more reward there than, than anything else. Yeah. It, it, it must have been hard jumping on that electric bike. You know that... The, you know, you, you, you're testing on the MotoGP bike one day. You're on the electric bike that, you know, I mean, right, it really right, hard? completely differently, yeah. Completely different, yeah. Yeah, and, and more than anything, it's like I had to do the electric bike. So I was trying to get the championship across the line because everyone expected me to be able to do it, right? So, but you didn't find yourself racing because it was like, oh, you know, I can't can't really go all out at this because it always scared me the the weight that the the bikes are um you know is one thing but the second thing is i can't mess up the aprilia project you know so it was like okay take enough risk to get the job done but not too much um you know to to basically jeopardize what i was supposed to be doing and that was the understanding you know from from everybody so I just found myself sometimes riding at like 90, 95%, which just wasn't enough to get it done because you had guys riding at a hundred percent. So mm. um, it was that really difficult balance of go fast, but not go fast. I'm like a Boris Johnson. Don't go fast, but don't go fast. Uh, <laughs> don't go, don't go fast, yeah. but try and go fast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was that guy. Um, so it made it hard because I just found myself thinking all the time while I was riding rather than, you know, being in the zone and completely forgetting everything. I just found myself thinking every corner and it was a bit of a headache, but um, nevertheless, it was still good to do and taught me a few bits and pieces as well. Yeah. And what, hey, when, what, what's the future of it? Or no, I just want to ask because, you know, it's a lot of people, again, we talk about that bloke down the pub and he's going, well, they're a load of shit, aren't they? Those electric bikes. So, <clears throat> in terms no, that, that was me. Oh, yeah. Well, well that was me. Down no, the pub. No, I knew it was some idiot down the pub anyway. <laughs> but no, it wasn't. We've got I, to I don't all, think the shit, by the way. We've got to all uh, think about it in a, in a way that, you know, this coronavirus has brought a lot of things into to stark reality, hasn't it? Oh, Neil Hodgson's uh, gone, gone. Oh, he's moved position sorry, on our screen. Sorry, my daughter there? was trying to FaceTime me. Oh, right, okay. I was my my daughter was, gonna... was trying to FaceTime me, sorry. It confused sorry. everything. No, he's moved in my screen. Anyway, but 
we've got to be realistic about about uh, coronavirus uh, and what it's made people think. Oh, there might be a green way forward. These kinds of things. So, future-wise of of motoring and electric bikes, it's we've got to be looking at it, haven't we, Brad? In terms of you know where where technology is going in a way. Yeah, we have to move with the times, and and at some point combustion engines uh, or at least um, fossil fuel combustion engines will will come to an end um, I, I I get asked this do I think electric is the future and, and I don't I think that it is um, it's one of those things that transfers us across so it's an easy go-to at the moment between like okay uh, you know here's a combustion engine and then here's electric engine and we're kind of ticking the boxes let's be honest we're not really uh, being green and healthy because if you actually look into all the bits and pieces that goes into making it um, you know it, it doesn't have that same implication but um, I think at some point they'll they'll find a different you know a different combustion you know it would just be we'll, we'll see MotoGP um, but it'll just be with like a, a cleaner fuel of some sort it's just no one seems to be that interested in going for it at the moment um, there's a lot of but, talk about hydrogen, isn't there? That kind of thing at the moment. Yeah, that kind of exchange. Yeah, yeah. and it, there's a lot of science out there to to prove that there's a lot of these things uh, around. Um, for some, you know, some reason. Well, at the end of the day, we all like noise. So, you know, if you turn up and watch the Mutui uh, race at the track, it's not that good. You know, not going to lie to you. Any fans that are going to sit in the stands, it isn't that that time. Um, hey, the racing was good. Racing was the racing was actually you, good. Yeah, there was but just if, no you the, if you watched it on the TV, it was great. So if if you had you guys, you know, commentate in in the background, you we are even good. Know that we yeah, are good. Exactly. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> but, Despite but, that, <laughs> racing was good. <laughs> yeah, but you you just you didn't even realize that there weren't no noise. There was that bit of the word going on, and the racing was exciting. Now, if you were expecting MotoGP noise into turn one and so on and so forth, it just wasn't there, you know? And so people lose that little bit of like um, <laughs> adrenaline and wow. Um, but in terms of, if you watch it on TV, it was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Well, we, we loved it, didn't we? Yeah. It was, there, were, there were decent races because it, it was just such a weird thing to see these big old heavy beasts being, you know, battling quite close to each other. And obviously they're actually not too shabby in terms of, top speeds and that kind of thing really considering how much weight and how much mass there were in those bikes anyway uh yeah it is uh it is obviously in some way i think you're right it's a stepping stone isn't it to a to another future of uh of finding and, and something needs to be done just to show willing doesn't it in, in terms of Gav, are you ready for, are, we, are we ready for big questions or is it too early <clears throat> yeah go, go on give, give the big questions in. i reckon they'll prompt something just a shout out if anyone needs any insurance by the way oh my just, uh... <laughs> I, just, I, I, I just saw my Mackenzie Hodgson I tell you what, you, you're just in it for free pens he's just put, showing a big uh, logoed up pen into the camera for those uh, no I just saw it there and I was talking what's interesting about this pen is oh, it's God, yeah. really good quality just like <laughs> the insurance right Bradley oh. Bradley wake like, up wake up Bradley wake up <laughs> Bradley right how it works never is... Never ceases to amaze. Never <laughs> ceases to amaze. Brad, we've had a nice chat. I feel like we've got to know yes. you a little bit better, but... Right. I have, a, I have this little section near the end where they're called Neil Hodgson's Very Big Questions. Okay. Whoa, this is... I've just made that up. But um, <laughs> so I feel like what, what I want... Taking what, what, all the credit. 
Yeah, obviously. What I want is I want the people at home to get to know Bradley Smith better. Okay. Oh, wow. Okay. We feel like you've been around forever. People sort of like, they just don't know. They want to know who Bradley Smith is. So I've written down a few questions and hopefully after these questions, people will know you a little bit better. All right. I mean, there's a bigger intro than there are a number of questions here. Shut up, Gav. It's It's because you're really good. It's exactly right. like it's exactly like me getting on this podcast. I'm like uh, one of the toys from Toy Story 4. I've been around that long that I'm just put on the shelf and forgot about. But go on. Uh, Bradley, we've had this conversation. We didn't forget about you. There was no pecking order. It's not the best or most popular. We just did it honestly, through people we knew. Honestly, honestly, Brad, honestly, it's like this, honestly. Yeah, yeah. he does protest too much, doesn't he? The, the, yeah. the, this was this was yesterday, last night when I was leaving him a voice message, and I went, "Oh my god, I've said honestly too many times. Now I look like I'm lying." <laughs> right. So, Bradley, you seem yeah. like the ultimate professional, and I want to know, and the people at home want to know, do you go to the pub? And if you do, what's your drink? Oh, um, I do go to the pub, and Guinness normally is my oh, good, is my drink. Good. Good call, good call. Have you been to, Have you been over across the water? Have you been to Ireland and sampled a few? Uh, not to to Dublin, um, but I was in Cork for an Irish wedding at the end of last year and definitely sunk oh. a few there. Ah, oh, it's like heaven, isn't it, over there? It is. I absolutely love the stuff. Um, it makes, so far, it so makes it, the rest of the world rubbish. That's the problem with it, exactly. Do you know what's quite interesting? On the Isle of Man, it's good. It's not as good as Ireland, but they say, it's the famous saying is it doesn't travel well. Obviously, the Isle of Man's really close. Genuinely, yeah. it tastes better on the Isle of Man than it does in England. There's one yeah. for you. Yeah. There you go. So, so, Brad, then you've been out on the lash with me and Gav. Gav's been drinking <laughs> shandies all night, so he's, he's still sober. <laughs> but me and you, we've had, we've, we've had a bit too much to drink, and we've got the munchies. We're starving. You need to soak up some of that alcohol. What's yes. your go-to, Bradley? Are you a kebab man? Are you going to get a McDonald's, Indian, KFC, fish and chips? No, cheesy chips. Cheesy oh. Yes. Cheesy chips oh. is the go. Cheesy chips. Well, on the Isle of Man, it's a Manx delicacy, but you, it's chips, cheese, and gravy. And you gravy. gravy over the top. It all melts. Oh. Oh. But you know that, up, up this Sign way, me up. Up, up towards the northeast, that's sexy chips. That's what, that's what it's is called. It? We've had that discussion before. Oh, yeah, yeah go and do the accent. There. And sexy chips. You've got any sexy chips, love? That's that what it always was, sexy chips. Yeah, I love it. Right. Wonderful. My girlfriend, bear in mind, me and my girlfriend, Bradley, we've been together for seven years today. Can you believe she's put up with me for seven years? So it's our anniversary. But she poor says, woman. poor woman, she's, one of her sayings is, you can tell a person's personality by what they would cook you, like a three-course meal. So me and Gav are coming round, What's I want to know what you were going to cook me and Gav. Um, and you, you've got to be able to cook it. Don't just give us a MasterChef menu. Right? Like what you <laughs> no, could cook us. No, I, I, I'd be able to do it. So um, basically, I'd do a soup to, to start because obviously that is a go-to. Um, I will tr- I, I'll use the bread machine to make you bread, you know, so you'll have a fresh loaf, a good, like, chunk of, of bread there. Like, and that's, that's yeah. normally the, the starter. Um, but what soup? Hang on, I need, to, I need to. I need to know. I don't. I don't want soup. I just want to know what. Like, what soup? Probably. It depends on the time of year. If it's summer, I'd probably go something like a tomato, something easy, 
and then if it was winter something like a veg with a bit of pearl barley and stuff like that inside of it okay. i'll tell you i like that yeah, seasonal on, produce on. here here he is yeah, yeah. bloody hell didn't see that one yeah. coming go on and then for for, for for main course for main course i'll probably do a pie i like pie well Oh. I mean, now you're talking oh. my language, Bradley. Uh, okay. I've never uh, seen Gav look so happy on this podcast. The problem is, Gav, and I have to admit, I'm not sure I'll be able to do the full, like, completely round. It might just have to be, like, a, a, a topped one, if that's all right. That's not a pie. Yeah. No, no, no shit. No, okay. <laughs> I, I've, ruined, I've ruined that one already. A, then. That's Jesus. just a lid. That's a lid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not a pie. That's fate. Um, I'm not oh, even going to ask dessert. what's in the pie because I'll take anything. So Yeah, absolutely. And then desserts will be a crumble. So um, whichever one that you'd fancy, I'd ask it ahead and it would uh, we'd do a crumble. Crumble and custard. Tell you what, you, yeah, that'll do. I'll, like I'll that. happily go through that. Good, like, hearty, yeah. good hearty dinner, that. That feels like a winter warmer. That is well, a solid you know, one, that is. Very true British sort of... Yeah, you'd be happy with that. Right, next question. You've had yeah. quite a few teammates over the years. Who's been your yes. best teammate? Oh, man. Um, to, to be honest, they've all been very good like I can't say that I've had a, a bad one because you know my my list is um yeah uh, no nah, you, you I, thought of a bad one then <laughs> no they've all been good. yeah know, apart from well, Julian Simon what an absolute oh yeah loveliest man in motorcycling the problem is like so many times because we're fighting for the championship he'd he'd fold his clothes all neat and tidily and put them like this that and the other and it was his thing before he'd go out and we'd always share the office and i'd always be like i'm just gonna flip and mess up his clothes like so when he comes back you know it's just all over the place and it'll ruin his day but it was so nice you know he'd always like oh have a have a good uh, session or good yeah, luck or something is, like that before the, the session yeah. and you're like mate don't say that i want to hate you like <laughs> Um, but I think just because it was so many years and the relationship went through so many different stages, um, Paul Espargaro, um, like it started off as I hate this guy with a passion. Um, and then we actually finished, you know, with a big hug out and, uh, mate, I, I'm going to miss you and you've been good for me for the last five years of my life. So yeah, that's probably the best one. Oh, I like them. I like them sorts of teammates, them sorts of, or them sorts of relationships. Because basically, he he got the best out of you, and you probably got the best out of him. So it's yeah, you've worked 100%. well. Uh, last question. Uh, it's not bike related. It's just uh, I was just thinking about it last night when I was sat on bed. If you could have a superpower for the day, what would it be? <laughs> now I know I'll it's fly. yeah. You are. I'm just gonna say fly. Fly. Because yeah. Gav's, Gav's always, because Gav's a perv, he's like X-ray vision. It's pathetic. You? You've always said that, haven't you? You've, you've, you've always said that, Gav, haven't you? Yeah, without a doubt. That's, uh... You're such a stitch up, Podgy. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you just prepared this shit just to basically make everyone now feel like no, a right knob. Like Gav's a perv. I, I want the X-ray vision. <laughs> I want the extra vision because Neil's going for invisibility and he's going to go in like uh, girls changing rooms. That's why. Yeah, really? So I can see you. Yeah, that's what it is. Oh, no, um, yeah, I love, I love flying. So uh, yeah, that would, that would be, would be awesome. 
Oh, are you going to get your, your pilot's license then? Is that something I keep on? Uh, yeah, exactly. I keep on talking about it, and I've, I've done so probably for the last ten years. Um, but yeah, I just need to bite the bullet. Like when I actually have um, a few months on on my hands, is bite the bullet and get it done because uh, I I could be classed as a plane watcher, you know, because <laughs> any time I'm near like um, a little like even just a grass airfield or something like that, not necessarily Heathrow Airport, but anytime that I'm near any of the private jet section, um, you know, or even just the, the airfields with the old aircraft and stuff, you know, I'm always there for 15, 20 minutes longer than I should be. So yeah, With your Anorak and your notebook. Yeah, exactly. That's the one. <laughs> Binoculars. Better than you, Gav. Gav's, Gav's normally down at the train station. You love it. You love, you've always had this fascination about trains, haven't you, Gav? Yeah, just 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 love it. Just love just love a, just love a train. Just love getting. Just love a train. I just love getting trains to places. Yeah, that's that's my fascination with it all. Uh, brilliant. Right. Well, Bradley, we better let you uh, get back to. Is it is it a nice sunny day down in the south of France? Oh, it, when is it not a nice sunny day down here? It's uh, it's no, a lovely place in the world. Piss yeah. off. <laughs> well, hey, I'll, I'll have you that's know. That's enough, Hodgie. Listen, you you chose to go where you wanted to live. Uh, you know, for, for whatever reasons, and you chose the rain and cold and windiness. So, <laughs> uh, Bradley just did a rude finger. That's so not on. I think he was saying I'm number one. I think that's. I can't believe. One. I can't believe how it's foul language and everything, Gav. He's been. Oh. He's been really rude, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, he yes. wasn't rude. I can't, I can't believe I opened up with fucking Tossa. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know, if we, it's not a family hey, show. If we ever do a best bits, that would be going in, definitely. Well, yeah, but I'm expecting, like, we go into the holding area and we warm up a little bit and this, that, and the other. So I'm literally Straight listening in. to Hodgie tell this story. And he just, you know, it it wound me up yesterday. Called me fat and chubby and this, that, and the other. <laughs> and, and I just, like, listen in. And then I just, oh, yeah, that fucking. Awesome. And then thinking, oh, oh, we're we're live, Bradley. Sorry for anyone listening in. Oh, here we go. Imagine, here we when, go. imagine when he does that every single day of your life when you're working. Imagine that yeah. when he gets a dig in, and you actually yeah. are chubby. Imagine how that feels. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, right, we better let you go. We've got to uh, get back to our sunbathing in the uh, oh, for me, sunbathing in the drizzle here in Leeds. So, oh, he's just going to get on his sunbed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everyone's got somebody at home, surely. That's normal, isn't it? <laughs> He's got the spray tan machine in the uh, in the in the bedroom. Flipping uh, now that he's orange for a reason. That camera definitely on BT Sport has to change the colour in a little bit because <laughs> at times, no, I'm like now, what's it shows turned up? It's uh, it's makeup. Well, no, I mean it's not. It's not makeup. It's not makeup. No, no. <laughs> yeah, everyone else gets makeup artists. Hodge goes, no, I'll do my own. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I know what I know. How I need to make myself look good. Right, we'll <laughs> let you get going, Bradley. Uh, we can't wait to see you out on track again, actually, and uh, see you racing. Uh, maybe the just two, maybe the rest of the season. But whatever it is, we wish you the very best of luck. As always, we're right behind you, and uh, I hope things go well. And yeah, get uh, hopefully stuck in, we'll Bradley. get to see you at give him, a race. Give him hell. Yeah, hopefully we'll get to, to see hell. you out there soon. Yeah, just just tell me that if you do get to see me at a race, you'll come and speak to me, you know, rather than ignoring me like you do the rest of the time. <laughs> yeah, Gav. Yeah, Gav. How dare you? How dare you? You know that's Cheers, not fellas. Cheers, Brad. You take care Cheers, of yourself, Brad. mate. Top man. Cheers, Cheers mate. Take it easy.
Oh, that's and Joe uh, Butt. Yeah, good to good to speak to, to Bradley. Uh, do you know what? There's uh, so many people have an opinion of Bradley, and I think you sort of said it there. The the, the pub kind of opinion, but so many have an opinion of how good a writer he is and what sort of person he is. He's actually a good lad. Is is Bradley? Just someone who's always been very focused on his career. Someone who hasn't spent his youth in BSB and doing things. He was over in Spain doing the Spanish Championship. Part of the part of the whole Grand Prix system from being 13, 14 years of age was, was Bradley. And and he was picked out by Alberto Puch and the, the like back in the day because of his dedication. And he's still dedicated, but he's a good lad underneath it all, isn't he? Yeah. And it's funny, 29 years old, Gav. Like he talks about, you know, like maybe, you know, flying at some point and it's like, Mate, you're 29. You've got a lot of your life ahead of you. You, do you can know do what? whatever you want. Do you know what? And and he was always the example I use when we talk about people coming through at 15, and coming and going through the system, going up, being fast tracked into MotoGP quite quickly. And Bradley actually took it a bit longer than you might have thought, um, going through the system. But he was always my case of you're going to get there, and if it doesn't work out in your first couple of years, your career could be not over, but. You know, you've hit your peak mm. at, at 23, 24, that kind of thing. And actually, yeah. you've got a lot more to offer, you know, haven't you? You, you, yeah. you are only just peaking as things go on. And it's just all these things about timing. There's no rush, is there, uh, necessarily, to, no. to get people through to the top? No, and he could potentially, obviously, everybody's different, but he might think, do you know what? Near the end of his career, I'll do BSP. I'll have a go at that. You know what I mean? He might do that. You never know. You'd have never said Scott Redding would have done it three years no, ago, would you? No. You know, right. so, so yeah. But I do, I just hope he, the, what, what, where he's so right in what he says is, there's me going, oh, give it to him, get stuck in. But it's so hard to get a top 10 nowadays. You know, he oh, names yeah. all the factory bikes. There's no slow riders. So, so Bradley could finish last, for example, at Jerez and ride the absolute wheels off that Aprilia. Just using that as an example. I'm not saying he will finish last, but you know what I mean? It's like, that's the reality. It, it may well be different for him as well to actually have had the, the, the pre-season. Coming in at this part of the season, he is going to be starting. He's going to be on the bike. He knows he's going to have two races uh, at it. And it's not popping in for one race halfway through the year when, you, yeah. as he said, you're riding around testing little bits for the other two factory riders. You're there. And you are on one of the bikes and you, you have to make it count. So, yeah, fingers crossed for, for Bradley. He will be out. It's great to hear that he'll be there the first couple of races anyway. Um, we are going to uh, say goodbye now. I'm going to uh, sign off from uh, the podcast for today. Thank you once again to uh, our guest Bradley. Thanks to Neil Ogson for uh, his uh, input and insight. Um, basically, what we take out from the podcast today is... If you're in a pub, don't go and speak to Neil Hodgson. He'll only get into an argument with you. That's what I've taken yeah. from today. Gav, I love you, man. Right, you take care. Uh, speak to you soon. And uh, yeah, I don't know what you're saying. See you later. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao.